This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 657 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, but you can refer to me as head number one, if that's easier to remember. And while I'm not as memorable, my name is Matt Baum, and I'll be your head number two for this new comics review episode, where we're talking about funny books that hit the stands in the last two weeks. After that, Joe and I will rap about our must-read picks from next week. And finally, we're still celebrating International Women's Month in this week's Patreon Extra, where we count down our top five female creators. You'll get a peek here, but if you want to hear the whole thing, you can get access at patreon.com slash nerd when you donate as little as $1 per month. That's right, $1 per month. But now, enough talk. It's time for action. It's review time in the cigarette. As we do in all our new comic review shows, we'll start by talking about four comics from last week, March 2nd, and then jump to four from this week, March 9th. We've got quite the pile here with Wonder Woman Sisters in Court, a new Lady Sorcerer Supreme, and The Punisher gets a new groove. Joe Patrick, why don't you start us off in the weird depths of deep space? My first review is Radio Spaceman, a number one from Dark Horse. It's written by Mike Bignola with art by Greg Hinkle and Dave Stewart. It's $3.99 and here's your solicit. When a ship crashes and lands on a mysterious planet and some of the surviving crew go missing, the mysterious mechanical hero Radio Spaceman is called to investigate. But the planet hides much more than the missing crew and Radio Spaceman may be stumbling into more than even he can handle. Based on Mignola's viral pencil sketches, Radio Spaceman is a steampunk space adventure full of mystery, monsters, and awesome gadgets. Uh, blah, blah, blah. We talked about all those guys. Radio think, Spaceman is the kind Radio of... Radio Spichiman. Radio Spichiman, thank <laughs> <Yes>. you. <laughs> Radio Spaceman is the kind of story born out of Mike Mignola's fevered imagination, like the scrawlings of a madman. There technically is a story here, but it really doesn't matter. This is just about seeing his idea come to life with the help of glorious art by Greg Hinkle and Dave Stewart. The spaceman is some sort of aged superhero or space adventurer that answers the call when needed by plugging his heart into a device that looks like it came from the age of Edison and then piloting a robot or, you know, a dead body in a spacesuit. I don't know. I think it's a bit like of a remote control yeah. car. <laughs> I think there's something seance going on. Like definitely. It looks like a skull in there. Yeah, but it might. I don't know. He's got ray guns. He's got like funny little antennas on his suit. He fights bear aliens. It's amazing. The story ends in the next issue. And I honestly could not tell you what's going on, except for that radio. The is on some sort of rescue mission or a salvage mission. I think from the solicitor, they said it's a rescue mission. But again, it does not matter. This is not a book that you buy for great grand fictional opus. These are ideas made manifest, and I could not be more excited for more of this. Two issues is not enough. Then again, trying to come up with a larger story to justify its continued existence may actually hurt the character. There is a reason why the amazing screw on head is such a beloved concept from Magnola's past. We barely got any of it. Whatever he wants to give us of Radio Spaceman, though, I will be there to take it. I'm giving this a buy it. 
Okay, I think there was a lot more here than the amazing screw on head. I don't know if we're giving it enough credit. <laughs> I mean, amazing, uh, amazing screw on head like had a whole like graphic novel. No, I know, I know. I'm just Little saying thing. you could go a lot further with this. I think I loved this. It was weird, creepy. Oh, you mean sci-fi. conceptually? Yes, conceptually. This was weird, creepy sci-fi from the school of Mignola. I, I like to think that every artist that comes into work with him goes through this sort of like approval process, sort of like Star Wars, where we got to make sure it all looks a certain way because all of a sudden yeah, Dave Hinkle... Yeah, they have to be vetted. Yeah, because right, right. like Dave Hinkle's just like drawing what looks like a Hellboy book at first and then all of a sudden, nope, we're in space. Oh, he doesn't live in a weird castle. He lives in a space station. And oh man, this was too much fun. The art is absolutely gorgeous. I, I'm giving it a huge buy it. We've, we've just come to expect quality from Mignola and he hasn't let me down, I don't know, maybe ever? I, I don't yeah, know. Maybe Mag- maybe never. Right? I don't think we yeah, know I, I, ever like hit I, a foul I, ball. I honestly, yeah, I honestly really couldn't t- couldn't uh, name a time. I was gonna say I don't think he's ever hit a foul ball, let alone struck out. Like Mignola, right? I'm just in. Let's stick with the weird and supernatural and talk about Strange Number One from Marvel. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Marcelo Ferreria. There's no way I did that right. <laughs> Here's your solicit. No, there's no way. A new Sorcerer Supreme rises! Doctor Strange is dead. Spoiler. And a new Sorcerer Supreme has taken the title, or should we say Sorceress? Hunted by her recently returned memories, Clea longs to bring Stephen Strange back from the dead, but when a mysterious group attacks the magical realm, Clea must rise to the duties of Sorcerer Supreme, for she is now the sole protector of Earth against magical threats. Don't miss the twists and turns as Jed McKay continues the story from Death of Doctor Strange with, yeah, okay. Then this new series picks up after the events of Death of Doctor Strange, as it says. And for those of you who didn't read it, you should, because it was a ton of fun. Spoilers, he dies. In the wake of Stephen's death. I mean, it's, it's in the title. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just making a joke. In the wake of Stephen's death, he passed the title of Sorcerer Supreme to his wife, Clea, who quickly reminds us that not only is she not human, her mom is the Faltine warlord, Umar, and her uncle is the dreaded Dormammu. <laughs> By the way. See, I thought she was closer, more closely. I thought Dormammu was her dad, but nope. yeah, uncle's still, you know, niece. in the family. Yeah. By the way, if you're wondering why Clea has never had a flaming head like her uncle, it turns out she just wasn't powered up enough. Here, Clea sheds her usual purple outfit for the Cloak of Levitation and a flaming white head. And I loved it. <laughs> when she well, yeah, kicks I mean, into, the, like, the, 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 the flames, that's the flames of Faltine. It's, it's right. kind of like a crown. Like a, it's a it's a power it comes thing. With the, yeah. It comes with the station. Right. But we didn't, I don't think we've ever seen Clea do that. And in this, when she kicks into Sorcerer Supreme mode, boom, her head bursts into flames. And it was awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. McKay is great here, making Clea much more violent when dealing with her foes than Steven ever was, which worries Wong. But it also sets up some great character moments. Steven may have been egotistical, but Clea might be even more brash and convinced she can bring Steven back because, you know, she's a Sorcerer Supreme. Why not? Ferreira is great on art and seems right at home drawing Clea and Wong fighting off a group of magic terrorists trying to rob the New York Goblin Market, where the two were just trying to get a cup of Dark Dimension coffee. I hear it's delicious. A new villain is introduced for Clea, and the design for the character is 
excellent. Super creepy. I loved it. McKay seems to be having fun with Doc Strange and looks to continue to do so without him in the picture. There is a last page here that I loved, but it left me scratching my head. And I wonder if anyone out there just lost their mind. I'm giving this a huge bite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I thought this was really good. Uh, Death of Doctor Strange was fun. There was no reason to believe that this would not also be fun. Right. And it was. I thought the art was great. I am... Uh, this artist, um, Mar- Marcello, Marcelo Ferreira, um, I'm not super familiar with uh, his work. He worked on Morbius recently, like a Morbius book that was really, yeah, I didn't read that shit. really pretty, but it wasn't very good. Yeah, nobody read that. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was great. I thought his Clea was scary. I love the fact that yeah. Clea is just kind of unhinged. Clea is not okay. She's not all there. Huh. Well, um, I mean, she's also just different. She's not human, so... I mean, yeah, yeah, she's not from around here. Things so, are different where she's uh, from. You know, um, cross her at uh, your peril. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is a buy it. It was a ton of fun. What in the name of the Vishanti? From the Sorcerer Supreme to the Dark Knight, it is Batman Killing Time, number one from DC. This one's written by Tom King with art by David Marquez. It's four ninety nine, and here's your solicit. Three villains, one dark night, and a deadly heist gone wrong. There are four villains, but whatever. Yeah. Catwoman, the Riddler, and the Penguin join forces to pull off the greatest robbery in the history of Gotham City and their prize, a mysterious and priceless artifact in the secret possession of Bruce Wayne. But as the events unfold, what fun is a heist without a bloody double cross or two? The epic, uh, the blockbuster team of Tom King, yabba yabba yabba, bring in an epic white knuckle, blah blah blah, of a young Batman desperate to recover his most prized possession from a host of violent rogues before the clock strikes the killing time. So I think they said three villains because they obviously used one. Like they well, knew, like, yeah, that guy's yeah. not really part of the plan. <laughs> sure, sure. Tom King teams with the phenomenal David Marquez for a non-black label story focusing on an unlikely team up between some of Batman's notorious villains. It is a fun heist story involving Catwoman, Killer Croc, the Penguin and the Riddler. Not all is what it seems. Someone's getting played and we even get a little bit of somebody else's literary quotes at the end. (laughs) The hallmark of a classic Tom King tale. There was a little bit of like weird, like Greek stuff going on here too. That has no explanation uh, yet either. (laughs) But it's the best Tom King Batman story I've read in a while. It's set in continuity, I guess, but also it's in the past. So King doesn't have to worry about fear states or future states or magistrates or whatever other states are going on in the current Batman books. Or Catwoman's status as a hero or villain, I guess. Or, or, yeah, you know, anybody's anything, really. Uh, His dialogue between the villains is sharp and the heist itself is great fun. Uh, I, I just I love a heist. I love a heist. Oh, yeah. The real draw, though, is the wonderful art by Marquez. His work on Ultimate Spider-Man and later uh, all-new X-Men at Marvel blew my mind years ago. And I was happy to see him get a shot at DC characters with Superman, Batman, or is it called Batman, Superman? It's Batman, Superman, Superman. Batman, Batman, Superman. They know which one Uh, sells more. But this is a pretty high-profile gig written by one of DC's top writers, and I'm so happy to see his name attached. Batman Killing Time number one is a fun story with a limited run, and there's no barrier to entry. It's the perfect story for somebody coming out of, say, a dark movie theater that wants to read a comic book before the eyeliner from their Bruce Wayne cosplay sweats off into their eyes. It's a buy it from me. I liked it. Yeah, it's a buy it from me, too. And I agree, like, 
this is supposed to take place in the past, I guess, or whatever. It's almost not important. It's just a good Batman story. I don't know what certain aspects. It is, as they say, evergreen. Yeah, it's very evergreen. I don't know what certain aspects of it mean yet, but obviously he's building something. This is what King does. This is definitely the most like dialed down Tom King Batman I've ever read. Would you agree with that? It was just like very straightforward Batman. There you go. Nothing crazy going on. Nothing real wild. Just like caper mystery as to what's yeah, yeah. in here. You're absolutely right. It was not. Uh, yes. Like you didn't have to take notes there. Like there wasn't three different versions of Wally West running right. around. Like and you th- didn't have to piece anything together. It's just a fun Batman mystery. I think when King dials it down a little bit, he's really good. David Marquez is exceptional. So and good. I don't know why that guy's not drawing more stuff all the time. I want all more. the damn time. Yeah. He's yes. too good at everything. I'm giving this a, a massive bite. You know, they used to call Killer Croc the meanest dude in the wrestling federation. Now they'll call him the guy who iced the Batman. Let's jump from the Dark Knight to the Rogue Sun. This is Rogue Sun, number one from Image. It's $3.99. It's written by Ryan Parrott with art by Abel. Just one name. Here is your solicit. Today, rebellious teenager Dylan Siegel discovers that Rogue Sun was his estranged father, Marcus, and that he's inherited his father's mantle, tasked with protecting our world from the forces of the supernatural and solving his father's murder. Dylan will be forced to come to terms with the man he spent the majority of his life hating. From acclaimed writer Ryan Parrott, who worked on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Dead Day, and rising star artist Abel, who's worked on Harley Quinn and Crimes of Passion, comes a supernatural murder mystery that explores the complicated bond between father and son and cements itself squarely in a corner of the Image Comics superhero universe! I don't totally know what all is in that universe. Like, it's Spawn there? No. Like, it's I have Savage no Dragon no, there? It's best, not to wor- it's best not to really think about it. Is it just these characters? I don't I don't really know. I think it's just the Ryan Parrott superhero image comic. Well, universe. but there's the Kyle Higgins stuff, too. He's the one that does Oh, like but they're Radiant tied together, Black. right? Yes, he does Radiant Black. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. but the, he has nothing to do with this. So I, I I think this is the Radiant Black universe, but they're not. The, ra- the Radiant Blackiverse. Yeah, they're not spelling that out exactly. Right. I mean, I think it, I think it was announced that it is part of the Radiant Black universe. No, it doesn't say it anywhere in the solicitor on their on the website. So oh, uh, well, all right. I guess I don't know. Yeah, Ryan Parrott and Kyle Higgins love them some Power Rangers so much so the two are building a whole corner of the Image Superhero U devoted to characters inheriting super suits. This isn't criticism. It's a perfectly fine way to introduce a new hero and give readers an unlikely character they can both relate to and root for. Parrot's main character, Dylan, is younger than Radiant Black's main hero, and this book feels like it's written for a slightly younger audience, too, maybe high school level. The premise is very clever. Dylan's dad was a hero, ran off on mom, remarried very rich, and then died in action. Dylan isn't fond of dad for obvious reasons, but sees the superhero business as the end of him and mom's troubles. Of course, it's not going to be that easy. And here we meet his first villain, Suave, who wears a three-piece suit with a mirrored helmet and sword. I really like the design, and I like the character, and I like the dialogue. I don't love that name. It just takes me to Rico Suave for some reason. <laughs> Suave, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Abel's art is really great. It reminds me of Phil Hester's kind of thin line, pointy action scenes. He's got a great eye for action and obviously studied his superhero paneling. 
Rogue Son is a creative mixture of Green Lantern meets Batman. If, say, Bruce and his dad never really got along. The art is strong, and the team looks to be setting up an interesting corner of the image Super U. I just wish I knew what all was in that corner, I guess. I'm giving this a buy it. I mean, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't hurt the story. The, no, but I just, like, they're billing uh, yeah, it as this new thing. I'm like, okay, what's sure. in there? I mean, it, it would be nice to know, but right. also not knowing... That's like saying, you know, I really, I, I, I love this Spider-Man comic, but I really wish I knew what was going on with Thor. Like, I, yeah, it would be nice, but it's also, I just, it's, it's enough to know that it's there. Yeah, I'm not right? punishing the book. Um, it's a buy it. I really yeah, liked no, it. No, no, no. I, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. Um, and I, I think that the, like, I love the, the trope, and it is a trope. It's, it's been used to death oh, for over sure. and over since the dawn of comics. Of the inherent inheritance of the mantle, right? Especially right. if it's like through an item of power, like a Green Lantern ring or whatever. But it's such a useful and interesting tool because it can literally be applied to any type of character. It doesn't always have to be father to son. It doesn't always have to be like a hero to sidekick or same species or, even sometimes. Right, right, exactly. Like it and like in the and in this case it is father to son, but the father is a shithead and the son is an almost even bigger shithead. That's the twist. And, yeah. And like they hated each other or I guess the kid didn't even really know him. He's mad at him because he he bailed, but uh the the dad turns out to be this huge douchebag. And that's such a fun, like, twist on that trope. I, I really liked it. I thought the art was great. It's a buy it from me. Um, Abel, you ain't, you ain't that cool, bud. What's your, what's, your, what's your full name? Come on. Hey, he can go buy whatever he wants, right? That's, hey, come don't, on. Don't try and put this Abel in a box. Come on, man. You ain't a wrestler. Come on. He can do whatever he wants. You draw this well, I'll call you anything you like. <laughs> all right? <laughs> Just keep them coming. That's all I ask. Oh, boy. Let's jump ahead to this Wednesday, shall we? My next review is Trial of the Amazons number one from DC. It is written and drawn by various. Don't you worry. I'll get to the names in a second. Yeah, by the way, don't go looking for who did what in the back of the book either. Cause no, no, do it's not. It's not no. there. <laughs> it doesn't tell you. No. Like you, would, you just have to have a real keen eye. Yeah. Uh, the price is $4.99 here to solicit. Written by Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, Joel Jones, Vita Ayala, and Stephanie Williams. Art by Joel Jones, Elena Casagrande, Laura Braga, and Skylar Partridge. Patridge, sorry. There's not an extra yeah, R in that. Patridge. Uh, so that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, that's eight names. Joel Jones is in there twice. That is eight creators. And I don't think that counts inkers and colorists and whomever. That's a lot of people. I'll get there, though. After the events of Nubia and the Amazons, the dangers of Doom's doorway have found their way to man's world and garnered the attention of not one, but all three Amazonian tribes. The Banna Migdal consider it to be a weakness in the current regime and have decided to return to the shores of Themyscira to stake their claim over the island. Little do they know, the Esquesida are not far behind. I had to look that up when I was writing my review because I could not remember the name. But instead, looking for help to combat the evil unleashed, tempers rise and swords are brandished as the women argue about the best course of action. Now, Queen Nubia must show them all the way to peace by calling for one of the most famous Amazon traditions, the contest. Who among them is worthy of leading them into the future? Find out 
as the bravest, wisest, and fiercest warriors compete to be champion of the Amazons. All the Amazons, by the way. DC is claiming that this is the first, proudly claiming that this is the first Wonder Woman crossover of its kind. What does that mean? (laughs) It means that it is the first time that there has been a Wonder Woman crossover where there have been multiple Wonder Woman books for it to cross over between. Okay, all right. It's also brought to you by a almost overwhelmingly uh, majority female creative team. All right, I'm not. I'm just. I'm done there. Yeah, this is all about how cool it is. It is one long ass solicit. It's very long, <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Trial. If they put that in the very first page of the book, I would have felt a little better. <laughs> I would have been like, uh, okay. well, yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> Go but ahead. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna get there. Yeah, I'm we'll get there. there. Trial of the Amazons number one picks up directly following, or maybe even during the events of at least three different Wonder Woman titles. There may even be a fourth title that I'm missing. I am not quite sure. Yeah. If you are not up to date on all of those books, you will run into a wall of confusion and exposition. The army of writers tasked with creating the story still manages to put forward a compelling plot if you can play catch up fast enough. On the island of Themyscira, there are now three different tribes of Amazons. Your standard show floor Amazons, <laughs> the Banna Migdal, where Artemis hails from, and the Escasida, which is the tribe of Yara Flor. Only a third of them are even supposed to be on the island, and tensions are high. Nubia, newly appointed queen, agrees to the contest not only for the right to guard Doom's doorway, which was her previous post, but also for the rule of Paradise Island. I threw in that throwback name just because saying and spelling Themyscira is very difficult. (laughs) What could go wrong? I will tell you, it's a murder. There's a lot of story here, and I have to give the writers credit. Now, Matt and I discussed this, and he may disagree, but this is where I ended up when I was done. I was still able to figure out what was happening, even though I was missing all of the context. I had only read Nubia number one. I have only read Wonder Girl like one and two, and I haven't read Wonder Woman proper in I don't know how long. There was another Wonder Woman miniseries that was going going on that was about Diana as like a cosmic being or whatever that was called yeah amazing wonder woman or that was a future uh, state thing i wasn't sure no no this was just this was that this was about like diana has been elevated to the godly plane here's what she's doing didn't that happen in future state and that's why we No, it happened at the end of death metal oh i thought that's why we had nubia on earth and stuff like that i don't know no 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 that this no the nubia i mean in future state yes they they had been there but no nubia and yara floor they are currently in the TCU doing their thing. Um, so yeah, there have been in the last, like, let's say year, four different one woman titles. I've only read a handful of the issues of any of them. And uh, so there was a lot to get through, but credit to the writers. By the time I finished the issue, I was like, okay, I know everything that's happening. I know what's going on. Uh, they did it. Along with the army of writers, there is also an army of artists. I previously named them. And they all deliver a fairly high quality of work, especially once you get to the pages by Elena Casagrande and Joel Jones. There is, uh, there's a reason why their work stands out uh, because they're noticeable. <laughs> they are not like no shade on anybody in the book. No, but they've got a but hardcore they have distinct, style. They have distinct styles. Yeah. You can see right. their work and go, that is Joel Jones. And if you looked at a single page of that Yara Floor book, you'd go, you would know. Oh, okay. Yes, you would That's absolutely up. know yeah. that, that like, it, it's like, oh, these are the Joel Jones pages. Definitely. Trial of the Amazons was definitely a trial to get through, but I appreciated how the events are unfolding without the requisite needless fighting that is a hallmark of all superhero events. 
that's something else I noticed by the time I got to the end is like not a punch was thrown. I think that this will be a rewarding story to stick with for the long haul. It is a bit of a ramp up. And if you're not current on the Wonder Woman books, just know it's going to be kind of difficult. But I liked it. I'm giving it a buy. Yeah, I, I, I like what they're building here and the idea and the story, like the three tribes coming together. All very, very good. And I would feel much better had they literally printed that solicit on the first the page. The book needs a recap page. It needs 100%. a recap page. Every comic yeah. is somebody's first, right? That's Especially the rule. Especially if this is, like, this is not Wonder Woman colon no. Trial of the Amazons. This is just called Trial of the Amazons. Right. And it, this is a separate book. And it desperately needs some type of setup that says, in the pages of whatever, this one happened. In yeah, the yeah. pages it of whatever, a, well, this I, 100% in agreement. It, it desperately needs a recap. Right. And now here we go. The Trial of the Amazons. Go. And I'd be like, okay, obviously there's going to be stuff I don't know about. But, like, I was so completely lost for the first half of this book. I didn't know anything about Medusa. I didn't know anything about. There are still details that I don't know. Right. Like specifics from each of the books that I don't know. I didn't know why Nubia was queen. Uh, Hippolyta was queen of the Amazons. Right. Hippolyta left the island to take Diana's place in the Justice League because Diana was dead. I remember that. Yeah. And and then Nubia became queen. And it literally- Interim queen. And now And now – Hippolyta's back and she's like, I think you should still be queen. Right. Halfway through the book, they started saying, see Wonder Woman 781 through 784 or see Nubia in the Amazons. And I started to go, yeah. okay, now I, I'm understanding like where this stuff took place and there's something here. And I just sort of had to push a lot out of my head. And the main story is there. I totally agree. I, I, I see where they're going with this. The three tribes are coming together. They're not getting along as well. Like, come on, girls, be better than us guys. That's, that's all I ask, you know? <laughs> but the art was good. It definitely was. Everybody did a serviceable job. But again, there isn't even a page in the back that tells you who did what. What well, you know, no. like if you just pick this up, you don't know who you like. You don't know who you're into and you don't right. know what you're reading or where it came from. And I think that is a real fall down for a crossover like this. I, I'm giving it a skim it and it's because of the nature and that's fair. Of, of how the book was set up. I don't think it's bad. I think it's really well written. I think it's amazing. They got this many creators together and we can follow the story at all. Because think about how many other books have like 15 creators on it. And we go, oh, man, they switched gears how many times while they were doing this? This is cohesive. This makes sense. It's very interesting. It needed some setup. Like, dear All right, God. Let, let me just let me in, uh, to, to play devil's advocate here. I, all of the things you're saying are true. And I agree. And really, it's just more of a like your mileage may vary as to sure. how sure. patient you are with it. But if the story is all of those things, if it's coherent and it's interesting and it's well told and the art is good, then why is it not a buy it just because you didn't understand what was going on until halfway through the book? Because there's so many aspects of it. That I still don't have any clue as to what's going on or where well, it started specific, or why but, it's happening. But again, those are specifics like whatever happened with Medusa. That doesn't seem to be central to the plot of the trial of the Amazons. It did not impact this issue at all. Fair enough. There was just an offhand reference to it. Joe, I don't even know why they're all here. I, I, I don't even know why they're all on the island at the end because, of this book. Uh, they say so because they screwed up and the horrors from beyond Doom's doorway are leaking their way out into the world. And Artemis's tribe has shown up to say, you guys are screwing up and we're taking over. Right. I got Yara that part. Flora's tribe, 
Yara Flores tribe has shown up to, to say, hey, this is going on. We all need to band together and go fight this stuff. I get that. I don't know where the horrors and the, are. And the show I don't know where that started. I don't understand we're not, why. We're not there yet. I get well, it. I get it, it, happened, but it happened in Nubian and the Amazon. I get six. that. But I don't know any of this. I don't know. Sure. sure there's, I, you're not wrong. There's you're high stakes I'm here. Saying, I don't understand the things, stakes is what I'm saying. Sometimes I feel like we, I personally use skim it as a way to downgrade a book that uh, may need more work. Oh, no, I understand on the that. part of the reader. And I'm not like, I am not saying that those things aren't necessary. I'm not saying that the book didn't need a recap page or even editor's notes more than the two we got, or even a credits page that said this artist did these pages, this artist did those pages, that artist did the end pages. All of those things are true. But I, I just feel like sometimes you know, if a book is told well enough and when the issue was over, I knew what had happened and I liked it, then that's a buy it. Like, sure. I, I don't I don't know what else to call it. If I walk into my comic shop and I've not been reading Wonder Woman or any of those other books and I'm curious about this and I pick it up and I read five pages, I'm putting it back down. That's a skim it for me. Fair. I don't that's know fair. what's going yeah. on. You know, like and that's what yeah, and there's that's, little you things. have indeed skimmed the book. Yeah. There's little things they could do to fix that. And that starts with a recap page, which is not hard. Come on. Yep. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's just a per it's a personal preference. Thing. Let's leave the ladies to fight and jump back into deep space. Talk about some robots. I'm talking about the kill robots, robots. not transformers robots. I'm talking about the kill lock. The Artisan Wraith, number one, from IDW. It's $3.99. It was written and drawn by Livio Ramondi. Here's your solicit. The Kill Lock unified four criminals in a quest to escape their seemingly inevitable linked deaths. They managed to escape destruction by merging their consciousness, and now one of the smartest and most malicious bots in the universe has an unbreakable body and a planet at his command. Homeworld won't allow it, and so two of the deadliest assassins in the universe are tasked to kill the Artisan Wraith. Transformers artist Livio Ramondi continues the cult hit, The Kill Lock, which came out in 2020, was the first establishment, in the next installment of this vicious and darkly funny sci-fi series. It seems that IDW is a whole stable of creators that not only work on excellent Transformers stories, but love the idea of sentient robots so much they branch out to create their own. <laughs> Raymond Deli continues his adult-themed Transformers-inspired sci-fi tale here, and while I never read the first Kill Lock series, I did not feel lost at all. The story starts with a flashback showing us how the two main characters, bounty hunters that hunt and kill other robots, met and escaped. The opening setting is a glowing alien tech-covered world that could easily be Cybertron if it were created by Bill Sankevich. Ramondi's art glows with the help of digital effects that add lens flare to the dreamy space backgrounds. It is a beautiful comic book to read, and the story slowly unfolds, revealing a surprisingly human relationship for the pair of problem solvers, as the main characters call themselves. It was the art that caught my eye when I decided to read this comic, but the story really pulled me in. This strikes me as a kind of adult-themed story Ramondi would have liked to tell in the Transformers universe, but editorial license rules probably won't allow for Optimus and the gang to cuss or deal with more adult themes. I get it. Kill Lock was a genuine surprise for me, and I'm definitely going to check out the first series. After reading this latest first issue, welcome to the Double Threat Club, Mr. Ramondi. I'm giving this a buy it. Uh, I went in 
just preparing myself to not really understand what was going on, but they recapped it very well. And uh, our uh, Livio Ramondi uh, recapped it very well. And I loved this. I ended up loving this. Um, I, I love the idea that it's like the, they are robots, technically robots. It's more, they are mechanical life forms. They're, they're very, machine life yeah, they're forms. very sentient. Definitely. So like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't get the sense that like some race of organic beings built these characters. I think that this is just machine life that evolved like it did on Cybertron. Maybe they were built a long and, time ago and they just evolved. I mean, who knows? Or maybe they weren't, maybe nobody built them. Maybe that's somewhere in the universe. Yeah. Like, Machines just formed themselves the same way that that fish climbed out of the water. You know, know I don't think it's how machines work. <laughs> I mean, look, man, they don't smoke and drink and no. But anyway, yes, I thought this was great. Uh, uh, the personalities of the assassins are wonderful, oh and their relationship is so like loving and caring and like. Oh my god! Like I was not prepared for that. Well, and that one uh, character that like uses a cloaking, which I thought yes. was really cool. They're like, "Oh man, this guy's a cloaker, so he can disappear." But one of the problems is every time you do that, it messes with your memory a little bit. Yeah, it does something with your memory, right? Yeah. And, and like, and so it's basically he's basically got like robot Alzheimer's. Yeah, and the other robots like you got to stop doing that. And he's like, "Why? It's not that bad." And like, eh. it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, we were in the middle of a firefight. You forgot who you were and where we were at. Uh, but yes, this was great. The art is beautiful. Uh, I, I love this. It's a buy it. From one group of soulless creatures to another. I was going to say from robots that kiss to kids that suck. Let's talk about Little Monsters. <laughs> That's pretty good, too. <laughs> We're going to go with Little Monsters, number one from Image. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Nguyen. It's three ninety nine, and here's our solicit. They are the last children on Earth, dot, 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 who also happen to be vampires. For longer than they can remember, these child vampires have lived a life of eternal wonder amongst the ruins of humanity. Uh, I don't know about that. But shocking events fractured the group and set them on a path of discovery that will shatter their innocence forever. Frozen in eternal youth for more than a century, a group of childlike vampires have nothing to do in a world rendered lifeless, but to try and amuse themselves every night before the sun comes up. But what happens when they find out they're not as alone as they thought? That's the elevator pitch for Little Monsters number one, and that is really all we get. Jeff Lemire's dialogue is sparse, but not in a way that made me feel like it was lacking. These are little kids just doing little kid stuff. They argue, they tease, they roughhouse. The years have done nothing to mature their minds. There's talk of a mysterious elder that we do not see, a uh, promise for future issues. The world that Lemire and Dustin Nguyen have created is bleak and empty. It's a ghost town on a huge scale. But remnants of society remain like burned out movie theaters and empty storefronts, pharmacies, things like that. The kids survive by finding rats and hiding before sunrise, rinse and repeat. But as far as living a life of wonder, that ain't how they live. Well, I mean, they I live think, lives of boredom. I think it's like a life of wonder, like, yeah, we're just playing. You know, we, we don't worry guess, about anything because sure. you know, they're vampires. Like wonder. Like sure. their biggest problem is they're bored. You're right. But it's like, what <laughs> are know. we going to do? Are we going to go to the baseball stadium and play tag again? No, it takes too long to get to the but baseball stadium. They're not stadium. like starving or dying or, or, no, or even no, when, like, yeah, no, they've got plenty that, of. There's a kid that jumps off a building and breaks his leg. He's like, damn it, now I'm going to have to heal all day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they just goof off. Yeah. They goof off. 
we get a little bit of personality for most of the kids. There's the leader type, the unruly twins, etc. Really, though, this issue is more about establishing the world these undead kids live in or don't live in, I guess. Nguyen's art is just as good as it is with every new project he takes on. The colors are gorgeous. The line art is smooth and ethereal, but it's also much more grounded than his previous science fiction fantasy work like that. Like if you look at Ascender and Descender, yeah. like something about those lines, it's almost just like soft pencil line. It was like, really this is dreamy like, and these are hard edged lines, yeah. but it, but it's still a, a very kind of it like sounds bizarre when you talk about an artist like world. Dustin Wynn, but this is very realistic. Like this looks like you're, it, it I mean, yeah, it, I mean, grounded, I think yeah. is, the, is the, is the right word. We don't get very much to go on in Little Monsters number one, but Lemire and Wynn absolutely know how to tell a story. And they're, they have hooked me yet again. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, this it was a quick read, but it's a beautiful read. It was a quick read. The yes. plot is a great setup. This it just make a Netflix show out of this. All right. We all know Sweet Tooth was great. Just give this one to him too. Or take Mark Miller's deal away and give it to Jeff Lemire, damn it. Because this was beautiful. I would love yeah, to see why, this. Why isn't anybody giving Jeff Lemire a billion dollars? I mean, come on. Uh, maybe he doesn't have the same ego. I don't know. He would talk it up a little more. Who knows? He'd whatever, be famous. Whatever. But yeah, God, Dustin Wynn, that is a dude that just continues to fire on all cylinders. And he's another guy that like, depending on what he's doing, like you mentioned, Ascender and Descender, he'll gently change his style or do right. little things to his style that make that story like that Dustin Wynn story. This is a right. different Dustin Wynn story. Or when he's working on Batman, that even looks different, you know? And God, yeah, he's so good. Huge buy it. All right, let's tear this Band-Aid off, Joe. It's time to talk Speaking about- Speaking of things that suck. The Punisher, number one from Marvel. <laughs> this is technically I kid, I kid. Punisher volume 13. Shut up. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Written by Jason Aaron with art by Jesus Saez and Paul Azaketa. Here is your solicit. Will the Punisher's war end? Probably not. Born of tragedy, devoted to war, unstoppable in his rage, as the Punisher, Frank Castle, has become the most accomplished killer the world has ever seen. Now it's time for him to face his true destiny. Eh. What shocking secret from Frank's past will convince him to take the reins of the Marvel Universe's most notorious clan of assassins? And once Frank becomes the warlord of the deadly ninjas of the hand, will it also mean an end for the Punisher? Or a whole new bloody beginning? Join the superstar team, yada, yada, yada. All right. The story begins with a look at the aftermath of the mob gunfight that killed Frank Castle's family. It's bloody. It's brutal. It's full of word balloons and confusion as Aaron's script shows the EMTs desperately trying to save Frank while his family dies. Azakata's art is excellent in this flashback, but it leads to an amazing two-page spread showing all the different versions of the Punisher over the years, notable exceptions being Angel Punisher and Frankencastle. You could have just thrown those in. It wouldn't hurt anything, you guys, you know? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> It's, but it's amazing flashback. From there, we leap straight into Aaron's new status quo for Frank as the High Slayer, wearing the new demon skull, carrying a katana, and, and commanding an army of hand ninjas, taking down a group of arms dealers, supplying the worst terrorists in the world, Hydra, AIM, you name it. It's an odd, and pardon the pun, violent change for the character, but that's obviously what Aaron is going for here. 
We get a glimpse of how Frank got here, but that story looks to be fleshed out as the issues will be coming out. Saiz's art is very good, and crowding pages with ninjas for Frank to slaughter is no easy task. There were a couple of strange panels, but the action is just as violent and intense as you'd expect for the Punisher. The problem is... I just don't buy the premise yet. There's obviously something supernatural going on. See the last page cliffhanger for more on that. But the one thing we don't see on the Punisher through the years two-page spread that I mentioned earlier is the Punisher with a sword. Sure, Frank is a badass, and we've definitely seen him kill ninjas, but I don't recall him ever being shown as a martial artist. Garth Ennis even famously made a joke about Frank's martial arts abilities in his Welcome Back Frank run, where the Punisher sneaks up behind a trained martial arts killer and pushes him in front of a train. He calls it Splat-Foo. Ha-ha. <laughs> maybe there's some ninja magic that transforms Frank next issue, or maybe he gets transplanted into a new ninja body like the hand did to Psylocke a while back. Until we get some explanation, and it better be good, it is hard for me to buy this new status quo at all. I'm giving this a skim it because it's not bad. It's fine on paper, the idea, but you're really going to have to sell me that Frank decides to do this and becomes a ninja. That's a lot to swallow is all I'm saying. Regarding the sword thing, he does make a comment about how he's not very good with it yet. I guess. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's a throwaway line where it's like, yeah, yeah Frank's not used to using the sword. Okay, fine. Regarding literally everything else about the book, I went into the. You remember me talking right, about it, right? You were dreading on it. last week's show. I like. I was so not looking forward to reading this, and I love these creators, all of the creators involved. Yeah, I'm a big definitely. Fan. And I read this, and I went, "Okay, well, that's not. It's not bad. No, it's not bad." I will say this: there's a reason why Frankencastle works. And the Angelic Punisher doesn't. Right. And that is that the Angelic Punisher took itself way too seriously. Yes. And Frankencastle obviously understands that it is a ridiculous thing to take the Punisher and make him into a Frankenstein. Right. I think that you could take out the word Frankenstein and put in Ninja Assassin and the sentence would probably read the same. Absolutely. Totally. Uh, it's not that this comic is bad. It's not bad. The, like the telling of it is good. The twist is a big old swerve I did not see coming. And I would like to maybe even talk about that in uh, in future weeks, maybe on cover to cover, we can talk about it. Yeah. But I, I am with you. I don't buy that. That's all it would take. Yeah. I don't want to say anything more because anything more is a spoiler, but I, I will say that I think Frank has been tempted in this way before and told. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. And, and told them where they can shove it. So I, I think that there's more going on and I hope there's more going on because without there being more going on, then on the face of it, this whole premise is ridiculous. I just don't know what not more in a fun way. What more could be going on that makes us like it though? Because if they go, oh, it's ninja magic. Well, great. Then they're going to figure out a way out of it and it's gone and we don't have to do this anymore. You know what well, I, yeah, mean? I mean? But, but like, that's fine. I mean, a good story is a good story. You know, I if guess. they get a good story out of it, whatever. Like I guess. the hand is the hand is known for brainwashing people. Yeah, so if this wouldn't be Frank the first is time. brainwashed, yeah, Frank is brainwashed, then you know, that's one thing. But if we are to take it at face value, if what we are given in this issue is all there is, and that's the reason why Frank is now the leader of the hand assassins, I have to call bullshit because yeah. that's stupid. 
It's I, stupid. Yeah. The Punisher as a character is definitely like maybe it's an idea whose time has come and gone. And if you want to retake the Punisher, if that's what we're doing here. We're going to retake the Punisher. We don't like yeah. what they've done with the skull and stuff like that. I don't know that this is the story to do it. Maybe you well, show and then, him but the, and, and show we, the Punisher. Give me a story where he infiltrates like a white power separatist group that's planning to overthrow the government or something. And we see he would never go for that shit. Here he is taking him down or something, you know, like. But I mean, the thing is, is that uh, I mean, I get the optics of it, but I don't think that I don't think that Disney a believes that it's a problem. See, see current events. Yeah. Uh, but well, no, those I are gay also, people, Joe. Those are a lot worse than white people. Oh, with sorry, guns. you're right. I'm sorry. They sorry, white. Sorry. We like white people with guns. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're right. My, we like gay bad, people too. Bad. We just don't want to say gay or talk about them. <laughs> right. We don't want to say that we're gay. We don't want to acknowledge that they That's exist different. or even That's you know different. pretend that they deserve healthcare or whatever. I don't think that Disney really thinks that they can quote unquote reclaim the Punisher from incels and bad cops in any way more than like uh Bill Watterson could reclaim Calvin from the idiots bootlegging Calvin peeing on right. stuff. Like oh look like a Jew Calvin and he doesn't have a penis so he can't pee on anything. <laughs> Take that. Yeah it's like <laughs> that the genie is out of the bottle. Uh, there will always <laughs> there will always be somebody willing right. to make a sticker of anything in any shape. Like our friend Champ from Legend Comics and Coffee has a shirt that says the Punisher loves his transgender girlfriend. <laughs> and it's the Punisher logo with the transgender flag colors. And you know that that is not authorized by Disney. I have a feeling. So. And, and I don't and recall that I, story either, but that's not important. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but I'm saying that that's my point, right? It's right. like they can weaponize it. If they can weaponize it, we can weaponize yeah. it. And no one can stop them from weaponizing it. And I think it. maybe just don't worry about it. You want to tell us a Punisher story? Tell us a Punisher right. story. It's don't just worry like, about give it. Us a good, give us a good Jason Aaron Punisher story. And yeah. maybe this will end up being one. But right now, it, like if this is about like changing the Punisher's image, this ain't it. No. This ain't it. No. And it, let's not get ourselves. It's not going to be like this forever. Come on. No, no. It's a skimming. I, in fact, who was I just talking to it about? I was like, you know what? I think I bought the Cosmic Ghost Rider Frank Castle more than I bought this one. <laughs> like, as far as like yeah, a, you know, a ship for I mean, the character. Kinda, yeah, like sure. I will buy that he turns into an alien that drives around on a space bike as the space spirit of vengeance. Because <laughs> that oh, made a, more sense. <laughs> from, a, from a million years in the future. Yeah, no <laughs> it made yeah, way more like, sense to me. <laughs> If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and our Faces book weekly on Tuesdays. Joey, before we deactivate our comic book review brain amplifier, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN permanent collection. Much like cloaking, every time we use it, it ruins a little bit of our memory. So like my fourth birthday, gone. No, but yikes. I feel like we did a really good job reviewing the Punisher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hope, you know what? I hope we did. I yeah, hope we did. I do it. I do it for the fans. I can't remember if they like it or not either, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, that's the good thing about not remembering is that you also don't care. Sure. Uh, I am going to select for my book of the week, uh, Radio Spachemin, I think, because 
Uh, it's not that I didn't also love the Kill Lock, uh, but I feel like I don't want to give it to the Kill Lock because it's the Kill Lock Volume Two, Number One, and I didn't really read the first volume, so I don't. I feel like that's kind of cheating. I mean, the hard ones are the hard ones. That's though, a you know. that's a me problem. I get yeah. it. It's our personal um, collection, baby. I know, I know. Um, I also really liked uh, uh, not Black Sun, Rogue Sun, Rogue Sun. You know, like I liked that book too. Like I liked a lot of the books we read this week, but Radio Spaceman like tickled me to my core. Yeah. Like I, and don't get me wrong. If you thought that uh, Little Monsters didn't take very long to read, Radio Spaceman took even less time to read than that. And when it was over, I giggled like a little girl. Yeah. I like I cackled to myself. Like I was sitting next to my wife, and she she was watching TV, and I was reading Radio Spaceman, and I just started giggling. It's just and I had to explain to her why I was giggling so hard, and she was like, uh huh, (laughs) but. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It made me happy. Radio Space Man. I'm going to go with Little Monsters. I, I really like the setup. I really love how beautiful Dustin Wynn can draw anything. But yes. Jeff Lemire is just so good with his pacing, and the plot is fantastic. I want to see where this one goes. It's just, it, it was fun as hell. And I love Lemire. And he's super pumped up right now on all his creator-owned stuff, and you can tell. I'm excited for whatever he does next. Same. There's neither one of those answers is wrong. After a review segment that packed, you've got to be just as tired of talking about comics as we are. So let's head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we can completely change the subject and talk about the next week's comics. It's like we're crazy obsessed with this shit or something. It's all we talk uh, about. <laughs> it's something. It's something. All right. Matt, tell these nerds about your must-read pick for next Wednesday, March 16th. Okay. Bear with me here. All right. I'm really trying it's here. It's a slim week. All right. Next week, my pick is Carnage number one from Marvel, $4.99. I do not care about this character. I did not enjoy him in the movie that we recently had. I've never really cared about Carnage outside of Maximum Carnage, which was really well written. But I do like Ram V, who is writing this book, and Francesco Mana, who is on art, who is an amazing uh, artist. I'm I, trying to figure out the other two names on this creative team, and I think it must be because it's of a, a flashback It's scene. a backup story, I believe. I think there's a uh, backup gotcha. story by David Michelini and Ron Lim that features like one of the first appearances of Carnage or something like that, possibly. Does that make sense? Um, well, Mark Bagley drew the first appearance of Carnage, but uh, I mean, it, but it might be in the style of like of like symbiote Spider-Man. Okay, and, some along those lines. You know, like one of the here's a book that takes place from the time you remember as a kid. Yeah, yeah, you know? something one along of those. those lines. This is four ninety nine, so it's a little bigger. So maybe they're packing it with extra stuff. I don't know. Backup story makes sense. Yeah. Here's your solicit. The blood curdling Carnage series you've been waiting for. Ram V has carved a perfect home for himself (laughs) in the symbiote corner of the Marvel U. And in this all new ongoing series starring Venom's most notorious offspring, that corner is about to get a little bit bigger and bloodier. After the revelations of Carnage Forever and in a year that's set to be celebrating all things Carnage. I'm not. Oh, good. I don't know why. This one is 30th sim- anniversary, I bet. Oh, uh, could be. This one is a symbiote story you can't afford to miss. Now, I never cared about Venom. I never cared about that character. Even back in the day when Todd McFarlane was drawing the coolest Venom you've ever seen, I never cared about the character until Donnie Cates 
came along and proved to me that any character can be written well in a good story. I trust Ram V. And I have a feeling if he is going to be writing Carnage Story, there's a good chance I'm going to like it. So I'm giving this my pick for next week. Yeah, I was hoping that would be where you insert the sound of crickets. Uh, you know what? That's fine. Ram V, he's a good writer. If it's good, it's good. I I will try any any series starring any character, and I might not like the character, but I am always willing to be convinced. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I hope it's good. I hope it's good. And I've saved your pick for you because I knew you wanted it. I was going to beat you. To the, I was going to beat you to it just to make you mad. But I went, don't do it. Let him have it. I wouldn't. I would have refused to pick something different. I'm to be so the bigger man. That's all right. Yeah, I appreciate that. My pick for next week is Batman Superman World's Finest, number one from DC. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. I guess that means I need to catch up on Detective Comics because those backup stories must have been going, huh? No, the backups have been the Matthew Rosenberg House of Gotham stuff. Maybe they changed that plan because there were going to be Bat- uh, world's finest backup stories leading into this. Oh, okay. Lord knows so DC okay. has never changed the plan before. It's fine. I'm not worried about this it. This would be a, a revelatory. Uh, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it, you're right. Uh, it's $3.99. Here's your solicit. The Dark Knight. The Man of Steel. They are the two finest superheroes the world has ever known, and they're together again in an epic new series from the legendary talents of Mark Wade and Dan Mora. In the not-too-distant past, Superman's powers are supercharged from a devastating chemical attack by the villain Metallo, and the only ally that the ultra-powerful Man of Tomorrow can turn to in this turbulent hour is Gotham's own dark vengeance, the Batman. A nearly fatal burst of power drives Bruce Wayne to his own extreme measures to help his friend, enlisting none other than the Doom Patrol for aid. It's the world's greatest superheroes from the world's greatest comic book talent in an epic comic book experience that kicks off the next big events in the DCU, which is saying something considering it takes place in the past. Get ready. It's time to soar. <sighs> Matt, I have been I have been waiting for Mark Wade to get a chance to write an ongoing Superman title for, I feel like, my entire adult yeah, life. Yeah, like, it just feels nice to see his name on a DC solicitation, and, right? I, and I know <laughs> it's that, been a long like, time. <laughs> I know that these days in the age of the internet, like Mark Wade isn't always everybody's favorite person. We're not going to talk about that. He's got, uh, he's, he's very opinionated and he's online and that's just how it is. is I'm not, I jerk? agree with him more. Uh, no, oh, okay. I agree with him more often than not, but you know, sometimes he just, he says what he means and he means what he says and he doesn't pull any punches and that's all right. Good for him. Dan Mora. We have talked at length about uh, that guy deserving to be on the biggest book at either one of these yeah. uh, big two publishers. And he was drawing detective comics, which is great and wonderful. And uh, to see him now getting to draw Batman and Superman uh, is such a delight. Now, it, this book can be dismissed as like, uh, Bat- Superman, Batman, Batman, Superman. Nobody reads that. It. It, it, it's a side book. It doesn't count. To be it fair, counts. nobody has been reading it for a long time. Well, <laughs> so. it's true. But I also think I also think that there is a lot of like cachet in reviving the world's finest oh, yeah. brand Come on. for it. Because that is a classic branding for this specific team up that we had for decades and decades and decades. And now they're back. And I couldn't be happier. Mark Wade, Dan Mora, 
Get on board, baby. Yeah. I don't think anybody's wrong if they say, like, nobody reads that, whatever, because it's just a side book, because that's what it has been for a long time, and that is a well, damn Yeah, and that's not crime. to say that some of those, it's not to say that the book has been bad, it's just no. that, like, it doesn't get the attention I think it's right. maybe It's a deserved. damn crime. The book is called Batman and Superman. It should be the biggest damn book on the stands, you know, backed up right. only by, next by maybe Justice League, which stars everybody, you know? Right. No, I'm super pumped for this. Do you remember when Superman Batman came out, like, the first time in 2000 and whatever? It had two 50-50 ratio covers, one with Batman and one with Superman. Yeah. And like literally people were buying that book by the fistful. That book yeah. was such a big deal. And it was huge. And, it was massive. And, and like what like what happened? Like what did they do to make a book that should be like one of the marquee titles in their superhero universe? Be the book that nobody cares about. The same thing that DC does with a lot of their books. They ran it into the dirt. <laughs> they yeah, kept yeah. it going too long. <laughs> I mean, I knew, I knew that's rhetorical, but yeah, yeah, they did. The THN Trade of the Week goes to A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, Volume 1 from Image Comics. It is $9.99. That is a steal, you guys. This is written by Rick Remender with art by Andre Lima Araujo. Here's a solicit. When an unassuming man stumbles upon a dark web contract assassin's vicious plot to kill an innocent target... He turns himself into one. The professional meets road to perdition in this story of a family's unlikely guardian being hunted by rich and powerful men who are used to getting away with everything. Join New York Times bestselling writer Rick Remender, who works on Deadly Class and Black Science, both of which you should be reading, and Andre Araujo, who worked on Generation Gone, which I believe we reviewed and liked, but I have not. I don't know if we read Man Plus. Um, I don't remember if we read Man Plus, I but I did. I definitely remember that he did some work for yeah, Marvel that I really liked. For a uniquely atmospheric murder mystery with a sudden bouts of brutal violence, this collects Righteous Thirst of Vengeance 1 through 5. This is a book we reviewed number one not too long ago, uh, probably about five months ago by my math. I don't know for certain, but we right. loved it. And it is such a departure for Rick Remender. It is this slow burn wonderful story with some of the most incredible art we have seen from Araujo yet. This is so cinematic in scope. It, it's exactly what they said here. The professional meets road to perdition are both two excellent, excellent examples of what he is doing here. You gotta check this out. It's an amazing book. Love it. You can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on our Twitter and Facebook, but you're probably reading something great as well. Be sure to let us know right there on our post so we don't miss anything good. Yesterday was International Women's Day, and I don't know if you know it or not, but this whole month is International Women's and Women's History Month. Well, here at The Ziggurat, we love female voices in comics, so we're celebrating by counting down our top five favorite female creators in our Patreon Extra. Here's a taste of the extra content you get access to when you donate as little as a dollar a month, which is nothing to support this pathetic show. Breakdown, baby. It's time for another THN Top 5 list, and this time, Joe and I are counting down our top five female creators as part of our International Women's Month celebrations. Joe Patrick, why don't we pander to the ladies a little more here, and you kick off this countdown. What do you say? <laughs> All right. There's nothing ladies love more than dudes telling everyone, Who's the best girl? <laughs> yeah, who's 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 your favorite girl? Um, my number five is no longer with us. She, uh, but she is a legend in the field, not only um, at the drawing board but behind the scenes. Um, 
during the fabled Marvel Age of Comics. Of course, I am talking about Marie Severin, uh, who had a wonderful career, not just as uh, somebody that worked in the bullpen at Marvel, uh, like in the design department, but as an actual artist for decades and decades. She has drawn things that you've seen that you didn't even know that they were by her. Um, If you are an old fart like me, you will remember a couple of uh, really brilliant uh, Marvel House ads, uh, I believe one of which uh, one of which is a, a, a an ad for subscriptions, and it is the Hulk sitting cross legged, staring at a list with his tongue sticking out, and he's scratching his head like he's real dumb, right? Like he's trying to figure out what books I yeah, can pick. I remember that. Um, uh, that's Marie Severin. There's also another one, um, w- which was an ad I believe for merchandise, uh, where it's like the Hulk. It's the Hulk dressed like Hugh Hefner sitting in a, in a smoking I jacket that one in too. front of a fire. Yeah. And, and he's like, he's talking like for greetings, culture lovers. And it, like, he's talking in a way that the Hulk obviously did not talk at the time. Oh, this was also, was also a subscription ad. I thought of my memory, um, in my memory, it was for merchandise, but this is a su- subscription ad. And it's just like talking about how smart you are for uh, subscribing to Marvel Comics as opposed to buying them off the rack and they chose the Hulk to make that argument for you. I I could be wrong, but uh, there's an unseen woman facing away from the reader in her own chair, also with green skin. And I don't know if that's She-Hulk or if this predated She-Hulk, so I don't know. Uh, But anyway, fun fact, Marie Severin. I just really love Marie Severin. And I think she had um, such a wonderful, interesting career. And she just kept going for the entire time she was at Marvel. We're talking like 30, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just regular comics. Like she drew a lot of Hulk stuff. She did a lot of covers. She did. She should be uh, way more famous. Period. Yeah, she should be way more famous to people that aren't like comic historians for sure. Um, she did a lot of like not brand Eck, which was the comedy book, but she also in the eighties in her golden years drew the Muppet babies comic, which I <laughs> loved, uh, because I was a huge fan of the Muppet babies cartoon. So she drew the short um, straw on that one or something. They're like, that comic was great, man. <laughs> My number five goes to Kelly Thompson, who is currently writing black widow and killing it on that book. But she has done a bunch of stuff that is absolutely amazing she would be higher on my list but uh, you know she's still relatively new let's see where she goes from here i mean uh, in terms of long comics careers yeah yeah she wrote gem and the holograms for idw which we reviewed mm-hmm. number one and loved it by the way she also has worked on captain marvel she's worked on captain marvel mccarroll core which she worked on with her buddy kelly sue DeConnick, who we were just talking about she's uh been doing the kate bishop hawkeye stuff that is just excellent Worked on some Mr. and Mrs. X, which I did not want to like, and I ended up really liking it. <laughs> she uh, she did the West Coast Avengers, uh, the most recent West Coast Avengers book with Kate and and Clint and uh, Jeff the Land Shark. Yeah, and, uh, it was delightful, and I loved it. We just talked about her Substack book, Black Cloak, which is very Black interesting Cloak. and totally yes. bizarre. She is a fantastic writer. She is sort of part of this like second or third generation of powerhouse like women that are coming forward in Marvel and DC right now that are probably that we're probably excited by some of the other writers and artists that are on this list later on. I love her. 
and I want more from her. She's absolutely fantastic. Kelly Thompson, you're my number five. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 657. Next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns just in time for St. Patty's Day. And it's picked a real doozy of a theme for us. Joe Patrick, tell us all about it. All right. Next week on the Cosmic Long Box, we are going to talk about our favorite Irish comic book characters. But there's a twist. Matt, should we reveal the twist? Let's reveal the twist. And the twist is shockingly Irish. Like, I didn't know that. And comically Irish. Like, yeah, (laughs) we get it. (laughs) I mean, not not necessarily offensively Irish, but like you hear the name or the their accent, and you're like, oh, I get it. They're yeah. Irish. Yeah. And and the other side will be their costumes got way too much green in it. I okay. didn't know they were Irish. Go figure. Sure. Hmm. That'll be fun. We'll do it next week and uh, one of us like will that. be wasted. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, you can hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover, every Saturday at 11 Central Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. You better believe we're going to have to talk about that Obi-Wan trailer, that Star Trek trailer. The, oh, the Penguin you know, uh, is getting an HBO Max uh, series suddenly. Was there some sort of event today? Was there some sort of like media event today? It was Tuesday, Joe. Because there were, like, there were three trailers at least, and then a bunch announcement. I think it's just to distract us from the forthcoming nuclear war. If you're not ready to talk about any of that, that's okay. We have got a question of the week. Joe Patrick, reset it for these jerks. All right. This week's question was submitted by Frankly, my dear Cirillo. With the success of the Peacemaker series on HBO Max, who is your favorite comic book character that came from another comic book universe into its present one? Case in point, the Peacemaker. Now, we aren't talking about a mere like, oh, they've crossed the dimensional breach, like the Squadron Supreme right. or Miles Morales coming to the ultimate universe. Miles Morales, though, I could make a case, but I won't. We decided publishers. Um, we, yeah, we're talking about characters that were absorbed from one publisher. And so they went from one universe to another universe like the Charlton characters. You may have to like, do a little homework on this one, but there's a bunch and you won't believe. So oh, might, yeah. Might be one of your favorite characters. Who did knows? we also decide, uh, did we also decide characters that, no, we didn't. We, no. we decided that it was just comic pu- pu- book publishers and there are enough. Yeah, because the next one we were going to do is the from movies or media, like not born in comics. And Yes, you're band. right. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you're right. It's a good question. Thank you, Frank, for submitting it. And if you have a question of the week idea, please send it my way. We do this every week, most weeks anyway. Uh, if you want to play along with Cover to Cover live, you can join us on Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. You just have to load up the video, click the link. That's it. If you can't be there live, send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. That number, 402-819-4894, and you could be internet famous. Now, please, if you're going to send in a recorded message via email or uh, voicemail, we ask that you keep it to two minutes or less. We share the air with a lot of people that are here live. Uh, In fact, we got teased uh, about it by our lawyer who should know better than to badmouth us in public. We pay his salary. God damn it. If you're new to the show and you would rather change your shirt, find a gang of ninjas to lead, and come cut us to pieces, then listen to any more. I assure you, you just need to settle down. It's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box at twoheadednerd.com. 
THN. It's a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors. Like our newest patron, Josh Nicholson, son of Jack Nicholson. That is amazing. Little known right? fact, yeah. and I don't know if he wanted us to out him. He like doesn't that, like to make a big deal about it, you guys. Right. It's out there now. It's too late. <laughs> if you like this what is, you hear, this every is going week, out live. It's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Well, you will hear all kinds of exclusive content. In fact, we just gave you a preview some. Or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you got a lecture cash. You like what we do here. And maybe you even think it's a little pathetic that we've continued to do it for as long as we do. And you just want to give us a pittance. And that's fine. Send us a quarter. Yeah. We'll take we're it. Not, <laughs> we're not ashamed. We're certainly not ashamed of no. it. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Ed Brubaker, head writer of Bruce Timm's forthcoming Batman animated series for HBO Max. Now, this was announced last year. I don't blame you if you forgot it was coming. It's called Batman Caped Crusader, and it is like Batman the Animated Series on crack, baby. Oh, it looks yeah. like golden golden age Batman with the weird curvy ears. Paul and it's Dini's all like there. super it's weird and noir. In his most recent newsletter, Ed Brubaker, who is the head writer, uh, revealed some of the freelance writers that will be working with him on the show. One of them is none other than his old pal, Gotham Central co-creator Greg Rucka. Holy shits. Love it. Word to you, sirs. My excitement level for this project has jumped from, as I said, oh yeah, I forgot that was in the works. Level excited, which is still excited, to holy shit, I need this right now. Why isn't this out right now? Yeah. <laughs> level excited. I cannot wait. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just go back and draw horns all over your Punisher skulls. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. It's not even a good-looking logo, really. Yeah, it's kind of dumb. Oh, I'm the Punisher. My teeth are huge, so it's hard to talk. You know. <laughs>